sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm your host Michael McCall, and I am flying solo for this episode because we're going to try and do things a little bit differently this week. As eagle-eyed or eagle-eared is that a thing? I don't know. Anyway, as regular listeners will know, we did not bring our usual show out on Sunday Stroke Monday. The reason for that being I was wanting to wait until the MLS Western Conference playoffs were all done and dusted. But then, MLS, being MLS, decided to push the second of those conference semi-finals back to Thursday. And then there was just so much other stuff happening as well that I thought, look, why don't we just bring out a couple of episodes over the next kind of two weeks? So what I thought I'd do is instead of bringing you out our usual mammoth two to three hour podcasts that we regularly bring you, especially in the off season, I thought I would split things up a little bit and bring out a couple of shorter episodes. Also just to kind of gauge how listeners like that, if the the numbers maybe go up a bit, if they don't want to listen to such long podcasts, maybe just tailor some of the episodes as well to specific topics or or whatever. So that's what we're going to do. So this episode, we're going to be looking MLS and we're going to be looking at the news from the three Canadian teams because it has been a busy couple of days with a lot to talk about. Some of this we'll unpack in a little bit more detail when we record the next show with Steve and Zach. But in this episode, we're going to look at the comings and goings in Toronto, also in Montreal. We're going to sit down for a lengthy one-on-one chat with Whitecaps Sporting Director and CEO Axel Schuster. And we're going to look at the initial option decisions from the Whitecaps as well. So there's a lot in store for you this episode. And we'll start things off on the West Coast because that is the best coast with all things Vancouver Whitecaps. So Monday saw the Whitecaps announce their first roster moves ahead of the 2021 season. Seven players had their contract options exercised for next year, meaning that 25 players are under contract for next season. Now, that only leaves five spots up for grabs, technically, but we'll come to that in a little bit. I don't think there was any huge decisions in what the the club announced on Monday. They exercised their 2021 contract options on goalkeepers Isaac Bomer and Thomas Hassal, Right-back Jake Nerwinski, centre-back Derek Cornelius, 
centre midfielders Michael Baldissimo and Patrick Metcalf, as well as forward Theo Bear. So a lot of the homegrown guys were there in their option years and the Whitecaps have picked them all up, bar one. Georges Mukumbilwa is the guy that is moving on. His option was not exercised. The club wishing him well in his future endeavours and they're going to try and work hard to, to find a club that's going to be a good fit to, to help his development. Manitoba boy, have to think that Valor FC is probably a, a club that's going to to stand out for him to go home and, and play football in his home province. And who knows, that the Whitecaps will hold his MLS right, so if he thrives well there over the next year or so, you bring him back into the Whitecaps fold as well. So I think that's all well and good. The other guys that they've exercised the options on, no big surprises there. Maybe Derek Cornelius, I had a feeling they might not renew his option and let him move on. Nothing to do with with his quality, because I think he's one of our best centre-backs that we've got. It just felt that he had seemed a little bit out of favour under MDS, who seems to really want to go with the Ranko, Eric Godoy, as your starting centre-back partnership. So with that in mind, you kind of have to think, well, maybe Derek would want to have more regular starts and might want to move on. Of course, he still might. Because even though they've taken the options on all these guys, it doesn't mean that come first kick, whenever that's going to be next season, that all these guys will be on the Whitecaps roster. There'll be loan deals, there could be trades, who knows what could happen. And I would hope that some of those guys do move on, do move out, so that they can get some regular starts and better development. Because going into the 2021 season, with 25 of the squad that didn't make the playoffs this season, I'm all for stability, but to me, that that's a giant concern. Another concerning aspect for me as well is that the age of the players that we've got. We've got 14 players that are aged 23 or younger. We're also looking to add in, Axel Schuster confirmed in his media press conference on Monday, three young designated players along with a not-young, full-blown designated player. But if you're adding three more young players to the mix, you're looking at then 17 players, more than half of your squad, that's under the age of 23. Is that a recipe for success in MLS? Maybe long-term, but short-term? I mean, I'm all for the adage, if they're old enough, they're good enough, but they have to perform. And we're going to get into that a little bit when we sit down with Axel, which you'll hear quite shortly. But just to round up the rest of the the roster decisions, veteran midfielder, stroke centre-back, Andy Rose, did not have his option picked up on for the 2021 season. And the reason for that is not that the club don't want him back, they just wanted to kind of renegotiate his contract a little bit and didn't want to take him up on the option that he was on. I think a big part of that is that they're looking at getting him to get into the coaching side of things at the club, not the assistant manager's role. That was initially maybe alluded to when Axel did his media thing on Monday, but he clarified that on Caps Primetime on Monday evening, where he said he's not being considered for the assistant manager's job just now. But you have to think with the experience he's got, the skill that he's got, the personality that he's got, Andy is really made for some kind of coaching role in the youth side of things, the development side of things, maybe even with the new MLS reserve team that could be up and running next season, depending on what happens with COVID. Either way, he's going to be back. Someone, though, 
that pretty much is not going to be back is Freddie Montero. He is out of contract just now and the club are saying that they're continuing discussions with him. Axel talked about being in chats with his agents and having positive chats. Christian Dahomey on Instagram was asked if Freddie was going to be back next year and he said no. Freddie posted a kind of farewell thing on his Instagram as well saying he was going to miss those guys. It was it was good to be with them. So I'm pretty sure you can be sure that Freddie Montero is going to move on. Freddie is one of those players that likes to tease things on his social media as well, like his kids' Portuguese passport, saying that they're all ready to go. So is he going to go back to Portugal? Will he maybe go back to Colombia? He was kind of linked with a, a move back there. MLS clubs, I'm pretty sure, are going to be keen to get him. He is a free agent just now. Whether he can get a deal that he feels is worth what he feels he's worth, where he wants to play is going to be the big question. There's no doubt in my mind, though, that he has still got a couple of good seasons left in him in Major League Soccer. So I wish him well wherever he ends up, but it doesn't look like that's going to be in Vancouver. And the last player to talk about with regards to options and, and deals just now is Brian Meredith who is not getting offered a new contract at this time. He is now out of contract. He's a free agent, so he will go into the MLS free agency. And there's certainly going to be a lot more players in that this year. Well, we'll kind of come to what's coming up in MLS in a little bit after we hear from Axel. But we also have to mention David Milinkovic, who we spoke about in the last show. The club revealed that his option was triggered and although he is now officially a Whitecaps player, both parties agreed that it's probably better for him not to be a Whitecaps player, so the club right now are trying to find a club for him to go to, but Axel did say on Monday that they're not ruling out that if they can't find a club, that Milinkovic could be back next season, which is crazy, really. If you've got a player that doesn't think this is the best fit for him, and a club that maybe thinks this isn't the best fit for him, to have to bring him back because your contract's been triggered. It's not quite Brexit, because we're not talking those kind of money and DP status, but yeah, um, hopefully he can find something. I still think Hearts is a, a, a good idea for him to maybe go back there. He seemed to enjoy his time there. They could really deal with him as they're looking to, to get back into the Premier, but we'll see what happens there. So no real surprises, as I said, with the first roster moves that the club have announced. Busy time ahead, busy off-season ahead. We'll get into some of the dates coming up shortly, as I mentioned. But for now, I'm going to bring you this episode's feature interview. Now, I got a chance on Tuesday to sit down with Whitecaps CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster for a one-on-one chat just about... His first year in the job with the Whitecaps, the challenges that he's faced, but primarily looking ahead. What lies in store for the club? What is he looking to do this off-season? Getting into all the ins and outs of it, some of the stuff that comes out of these roster moves, and a lot more besides. So go make yourself your favourite hot beverage, grab a chocolate digestive or your biscuit of choice, sit back and enjoy my chat with Axel S. So thank you so much for joining us today, Axel. Really wanting to to kind of delve into your first year 
at, at the white caps. You talked a lot, you don't like to look in the rear view mirror, you like to look ahead. So that's primarily what I'm going to do today. I don't want to touch too much on what's in the past, because what's in the past is in the past. But I, I do want to start off by just asking you, you, you've had a year now in the job. How do you reflect on that year? You could never have imagined anything like a global pandemic hitting you. But when you look back at where the club is just now to where it was a year ago, how do you rate the club a year on? I, I think with that we made a good step forwards, but uh, maybe, um, and we are we hard with ourselves, we were not able to do all the steps we had in our mind uh, for the last year. And uh, some things are explainable because there was a global pandemic that impacted uh, a lot of things, also for our club and especially for the Canadian clubs. Uh, but uh, of course, uh, maybe at some points we we have not performed on the level we we were expecting from ourselves that we were expecting from ourselves. So, so we are really hard with that. We were in we are in the analysis. But if you ask me why, I still think that it was a good year. Um, it's only a, if you look at the, our squad and the coming the coming transfer period. So um, the club had two, I think, two really big turnarounds in the last two transfer periods. And uh, uh, I think for the first time since a few years, we are feeling very confident with the group of players we have. And we feel that we have a strong basis to go forward. And uh, in the way we are looking at it right now, it is only that we, we see the possibility to add quality pieces to a strong foundation of basis that will help us to 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 make the next steps and to grow the game uh, next year again. When you were hired last year, if someone came to see you in Germany and said, we're going to take you to Canada, but there's going to be a, a case where you're not going to be living in Canada, you're going to be playing out in the US, there's going to be a pandemic, you're going to have all these other issues. If someone told you that that was the year ahead, would you still have taken this job? Or how many times over this season did you think to yourself, oh, I can't believe this is happening. I wish I hadn't taken this job. Or did that never ever cross your mind? No, of course, in, in such a long year, and uh, and you have to, to know that uh, next Friday, it's ex ex exact six months since I saw my wife and my daughter the last time. Uh, so, so there have been huge impacts and there are moments where you think about all of that. But... Uh, we should not we should not do like that the problem is only existing in canada or in north america so there was also a huge impact to the to the game and to clubs and uh, um to to the normal football world in europe so uh, also there um, clubs had to deal with a lot of uh, problems so um you cannot say that only because i went to Canada and you're not doing that I know but uh, only because I went to Canada I, I had to deal with so much problems I would deal with different problems but also with problems if I would stay in Europe um, and on the other hand we were in that together so it was not only me and uh, maybe because I was dealing with the same issues like a lot of players and I was all the time together with the team in, in Portland it helped me even more to understand the players and and to have a different basis to discuss with the players about that because they they knew um i'm not sitting in germany together with my family and and um and tell them they have to perform better no we were all together there and uh, we went through all the the 
certain steps or different steps in this year, Orlando, the Canadian series, the, the Portland part together. And um, so I also feel and know exactly where the problems have been in the season and, and uh, why maybe um, uh, why maybe we have not made the last step that we were asking ourselves to do before the season. Yeah, I think the the family side for everyone. I can only just imagine how how tough that is for everyone and for yourself as well. And I, I know you're you're flying home to see your family pretty soon, so I, I'm sure you can't wait for that. The last thing I want to ask you then about the season that's passed. If you were to grade yourself, and you can either do it like A to E or out of ten or whatever, how how would you grade yourself? For how you've performed in your two roles this year, I don't like that because I I think it it's up to the to to other people to rate about me. Um, I can tell you that uh, uh, it's uh, my mentality never to be satisfied. Uh, we had uh, great discussions after wins uh, in this year. Uh, for example, after the win against Toronto in uh, Vancouver, um, and. Uh, and uh, that's that's a part of my mentality that uh, uh, as long as we don't have the silver bear in our hands, uh, I cannot be satisfied. So there is always a next step to go. There are also things, always things to improve. Um, and uh, it's a part how I lead this organization and I want to push it forward. And it was uh, it was very um, uh, interesting or not interesting. It was a, it was an, a, an interesting moment for me or an, an, yeah. Uh, in the halftime against the Galaxy in the last game, we, we we were up, we were up, we were playing a good game, and, and Mark dos Santos was uh, really hard with the players, and they were like looking at him, hey, we are doing good, we we are we are up, and he's no, you're not doing good enough, we, you you have been lazy in a few moments, and if we are not taking care about or improve that, then there is still a risk for the result. So it is. It has to be like that, and that's uh, the mentality I want to implement. We we always spoke about our cornerstones. I think if we speak about that and look at that, uh, that was our first big step. So I would say yes. I I was able together with all the others, and I'm not alone, to to make reasonable uh, good steps forward with that. But if I have to rate myself, I would see so many things that we could done better and of course it's always easy afterwards to speak about that but uh, retrospective I, I'm i very hard with myself and say hey this decision you could take in a different way or yeah so so uh, I, I keep that open and leave, leave it for, for somebody else um, to do that uh, but uh, uh, I would say that um, and if you went back to my interviews you saw that I spoke a lot about sustainable development and I would say that we did um, a sustainable step forward. Um, the organization is solid on that basis. We have reached at the end of the season, but uh, I'm, I'm, as, as I said, hard enough with myself to say there was another step that we were able to go and we haven't managed that. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Hindsight is, of course, always a great thing. And in football, it's just what, fans, media, everyone looks at, it's always, oh, you analyse everything these days with, with a fine tooth comb, so you, you can just pick little bits here and there. Talking about the way forward then, now, the club obviously did their their options and everything on Monday, 
and you're bringing the core of the team back. Now, just one thing I wanted to to pick up on you on, because when we did our show, I gave you a bit of a hard time when I was talking about you making this comment, so it's only fair that I, I mention it to your face and, and get your opinion on it. You mentioned at the end of the season that the group, the players as well, felt that even if you didn't add any more pieces this off-season, and I know you are, but if you didn't, you felt that the group you had was competitive and would be able to, to make the playoffs this coming season. I strongly disagree with that because the group didn't make the playoffs this season and other teams are only going to get better. Do you still believe that the group that you have, even if you only added one or two pieces, is still good enough to not just make the playoffs, but actually be competitive in the playoffs? Yeah, so first of all, and that's important that you that you, that you mentioned that, we will add additional pieces. So uh, we we don't want to go forward with the same group and, uh, uh, and we don't see uh, that, that there is not any need for change. So there, there we, everybody knows that we want to add four DP players for a reason to increase the quality, to, to get additional skills onto the pitch. The point I'm referring to is if you, if you look at the season and, and again, nothing as that is an excuse, uh, nothing for, of that is an excuse. It's only an explanation. If you look back to the season, we played 19 games on the road. We have been a team that that had to stay in a different city and play home games against the home city, uh, the team from the home city. We if we work away and went home, and everybody said, "Hey, good trip home." That means to a hotel in a in a city in another country. Um, we built the whole team at the beginning of the season, and and we started with the youngest team into the season. We built the whole team onto development, and we wanted to develop players. And uh, this season was not good for development, the, for the development of players, because you know that uh, uh, it, at the last game before the lockdown, two players just arrived. They hadn't even trained with our team, Ranko Wieslinovic. So then we have sit in a lockdown. Everybody was in his condo and could only do some things on the ergometer or something like that. Then after that, we trained and were in Orlando with, with, with a lot of players missing, a lot of key players missing. I would say... At the end of the season, if you look, Cavallini, Montero, Gianni Bickel, and Eric Godoy, they have been key players in our last stretch of the games. And they were missing at that period. And we had to play every three games, uh, three days a game. Then we came back and we were in a full quarantine, full hard quarantine for 12 days. Not any training, nothing. So another break. And then... After that, we went to, into another scenario where we had to play a lot of games in a short period of time. So mostly our days were like game day, recovery day, last training, next game. So it was not a season that was really uh, uh, perfect for developing young players. And we signed a lot of young players and, and, and we, we bet on a lot of young players. And although all of that happens, I think at the end of of this period, at the end of the of the season, unfortunately, it was over after twenty three games. We had a we had a period of seven games, four wins. We allowed seven goals. So, I thought that at that period of time, as everybody was still fighting for playoff positions or playoffs, we were a really competitive team. 
And I would love that we now play 11 additional games coming out of that. So what does I want to say is that this period and 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 we we again we we uh, we are hard with ourselves. This is the basis for going into the next season. So and if the basis of going into the next season is to allow uh, seven goals in seven games and to win four of seven games, uh, I would say we are a team that can make the playoffs. Uh, is it guaranteed? No. Um, but is, would it be our target? And would there, would are there reasonable or uh, reasons uh, or is it a reasonable thinking to 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 say that? I think yes. Um, would other teams become better? Yeah, for sure. But maybe we are allowed to play at home finally again and have having home games and being together with our families. I think that would would also be a big step forward. Maybe we have the possibility to prepare games a week long and not only two days. So we see a lot of possibilities to develop this group also forward. And, and we believe in that. And um, But uh, we, we are not crazy and, and, and we are not uh, um, uh, saying at one point we only want to do that. We see a lot of uh, possibilities to, to add uh, pieces that that mm, will help us and, and we saw also in the analysis a lot of parts where we lacked of so and and, and uh, where we where we really can uh, increase the quality of the team and of our play to 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 even convince you that the team is now ready to make the playoffs the current squad, I think anyone that's watched this team for any period of time, everyone knows where, where the weaknesses is, everyone knows what needs strengthened. You've talked about bringing in three or four key players that, that's going to do that. And a lot of it's always focused on the attack. I want to ask you, though, about the defence, because for the last two seasons, 2019, the team had the fifth worst defensive record. I think it was 1.73 goals against. Last season, third worst defensive record in the league, 1.63 goals against. But there's never any talk about strengthening the defence. And the team, in MLS terms, something that I've got a big bugbear on is folks just concentrate on the attack. LA teams in particular, they spend all this money on on the attack and they don't strengthen their defence. Now, we in Vancouver have spent a lot of money on defenders. Eric Godoy, Ali Adnan, even Jasser Kamiri you've brought in, Ranko. Do you feel that the defence needs extra pieces? Because you've brought pretty much the whole defence back. And to me, I find that concerning because they have been shipping so many goals. Or is the reason that they're shipping so many goals maybe that you just don't have the midfield pieces in front of them or attacking pieces that aren't tracking back and doing the defensive work that they need to do. So it it is the never ending discussion and story where starts defense, <laughs> because uh, um, and because I see it is not that easy. What what do we strength uh, with with what kind of player? So um, uh, here. Uh, I, I I was looking unfortunately so I was listening to you in the same time I was listening for uh, looking for a quote that we used this year, and it is from a guy who I know very well you know very well it's Jurgen Klopp 
And he said, we want to attack the opponent nonstop when we have the ball, when we lose it, and when the opposition have it. Put another way, defending is our first offensive action. And, and, and it means, what does it mean? Everybody is a defender. If we are out of possession, everybody is a defender. Everybody has to help. And why, so why I, I and we are um, feeling good and I, I, why I'm mentioning the seven goals that we allowed in seven games is that we think in the moment we were able uh, to play constantly in a in a in a, in a same system with a, a pretty same number of players, our defensive game was not that bad. So as we as we we were struggling a lot in the season with a lot of uh, different moments where players were not available. Um, we we all we all agree. I think that Eric Godoy is our best defender but he was not available for more than 50% of the games and all at the beginning of the season. So he was available for the last seven games where we, where we had the, the, this record with seven goals we only allowed. But it was not only him. It was also the two, two the, 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 uh, defensive midfielders that became, that grow, that, that grow throughout the season. Uh, Leo Wuzo came out, came, uh, from Africa uh, to Israel to 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 this country, and it, he had to adapt to the game. He he he's he's a way young player. The same with Ranko Vizelinovic, um, um, uh, Gutierrez, a player where we believe that he has a huge uh, a future in this club. He is way young and 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 came the first time to our league. Um, so so, I think we we have to to. If we look back onto the season, we have to see that special moments that this season also had and that made it way complicated for us at some point. And uh, if we are able to play in, uh, in, a, in, this, in this setup, what we did the last seven games, and we have all these players available, I think uh, we, we end, uh, once again, going back to, my, to the beginning of my answer, if everybody knows what he has to do, because I spoke with a few guys and I spoke with him, so I feel comfortable to, to say that. I said, Freddie, you are the best Freddie Montero I saw since, since five years. And he said, yeah, <laughs> I know. So he said, uh, yeah, suddenly we were working together as a team and it, it, it was a joy. To, and it was, there was no question that everybody has to do his job because if one person is not doing his job, the whole team is not looking good. So, so it is a team approach. Uh, the way how how the the players worked against the ball as a as a as a as a whole group, and we always said um, our approach is to develop young players. But the other thing we said is that we want to be a team where the combination of the eleven players on the pitch is stronger than maybe eleven better individuals on the opposite side. And we had a few games where we showed that. And then that's the reason why we feel comfortable and I, uh, to, to go forward with, with this group. And I don't say that because I'm speaking so much about uh, offensive moments and, and adding pieces in the offensive, that we will not add also uh, players for the defense at the end. But um, um, I, I see, or in my evaluation, I, I, if we only speak about the two games against Portland, 
with the big disadvantage that we were the away team and, and so and the home team. But no, let us only speak about the two Portland games. If if somebody goes back and look at these games, uh, you will easily say, okay, the team that scores first will will maybe win one zero, and uh, and. Um, and uh, we had good moments. We, we were defending well. We didn't allow so much shots, but at the end, they scored. And we, with very good chances, didn't score. So we think if we, would be, if we are able, and that's, that's what, what we are asking ourselves, to go on with that stability of the last seven games and have a, two, a few additional offensive pieces that are difference makers, that attack the goal, then we score the 1-0, and then we defend it. Then we defend it, and and uh, that's why why I think the the stats are not one hundred percent correct this year. And uh, we know we went to Orlando, and if we look at our games, uh, if we look at our Kansas game that we finished zero zero, how many shots we conceded, and how good our goalkeeper was in that game, we know that. So we are everybody can believe me that we know that. But I also want everybody to remind that in the moment where we had all this player together and we had our two strikers and we had Pickle and we had Godoy and we had those guys that are around the young guys because you need a few experienced guys that lead the young guy. So if, if Ranko is playing next to Eric, it is even much easier for him because Eric gives him the advice he needs still. So this is a different situation than if we play two very young guys. So, so we... I, I want to remind everybody there were also good moments of defending in this year, especially the last stretch. And 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 as we were thinking, we were developing to that. We are we are uh, pushing ourselves and our players way hard to go on with that development. And again, uh, we want to add pieces. And nobody said I never said I don't want to add a defensive piece, but it has to be a very strong one. So we don't have to add. Uh, a P, another def defensive piece that at the end doesn't make the difference. Everybody who comes in should be a player that then makes a difference to that what we have already. Yeah, difference makers in this league seems to be the difference between, obviously, teams that, that go on and win championships and teams that don't. You just have to look at New England just now. They've got Bo and Gill lighting it up and being real difference makers which is what you want from your dps so i kind of had a, a look over like goals and assists for this season just throughout the league now in the top 10 goal scorers six of those are dps and the assists out of the top nine seven of those are dps so it's obvious that you, you need your dps performing We've got a young squad in Vancouver, 14 under the, the age of 23. You're looking to add three young designated players. But when you look at the real difference makers and you look at the top 10 and goals and assists, there's only two under 23 players leading in goals and none of the top nine assist players are under 23 players. Do you feel having a squad that is so young can really make a difference in this league. I know you're looking to add pieces, but if you're adding three young designated players, apart from, say, Diego Rossi, there's not a lot of top young talent in MLS that are making the difference right now. Yeah, might be. And and uh, it's not the way we are looking at it because we don't want to copy-paste because we don't think that you can ever be better than than uh, than somebody 
if you try to copy paste what others are already doing and maybe others uh, that are doing that better because they are doing a certain style for for a long time um so so i think uh we want we want to add a full dp in in that area of the game as an attacking midfielder so we want to add a full dp not a young dp we have cover and and cover cover was our best goal scorer although he 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 missed a lot of games this year uh because he was not Orlando and then and and after that we had he had a hard time because he never had team training for a long period of time so so and although all of that happened he was still our best goal scorer so if you if you only would calculate that games onto it so he he would he would be close to that guys in the top 10 so you don't have to have uh, uh we don't we we are not looking for adding five players that are in the top 10 next year we are adding we are looking for players that help us as i said to increase the whole quality of the team as we want to be as a team stronger than the individuals on the other side so of course uh, uh this player should help but then we are looking for a full dp and he should be in so we so in in our idea of building the squad, Kava is in the top ten of the goalscorers, and our other DP, the, the the attacking midfielder, is in the top ten of of assists, and they are not young DPs. And the additional pieces, a player like Dahoma, a, a, a left winger, a young young left winger, helps them to get to those numbers, and uh, and and to increase our whole offensive game. And uh, we are also looking uh, to add an, another striker, a young striker. Uh, that can help Carver in in games that are way locked and and to be an additional piece to 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 maybe open space for him. So there are a lot of things you can do to increase um, to increase um, those numbers. And uh, it, it it would be irrational to say we want to sign three young DPs and they should be somewhere in that list. Uh, but. If you sign young players, and I'm always speaking about development, it would be good that they are in this list maybe in two or three years. And that's the idea. And in the meantime, I think that, that we have a few players that, uh, that anyway can, can, can always jump into this list uh, or should jump into this list if we sign a, a full DP on, on the attacking midfield. There's a thing in the UK. There was a TV pundit, Alan Hansen, who famously or infamously said... You're not going to win anything with kids, in reference to Alex Ferguson's young Man United team. And then they went out and proved him wrong. In a league like MLS, do you feel that you can win? And by win, I don't just mean games, I mean like go deep in the playoffs. With such a young squad? Or, again, like it's easy to look at stats, but you look at some of these guys at the top performers and they're like 29, 30 in the assists, Quintero's 33, Ladero's 31. I, I You've talked before, ideally looking at maybe maximum age of 28. If the right piece came along that was in his 30s, or the right couple of pieces came along that were in their 30s, would you pull the trigger on that if it meant you maybe only had him for, say, two seasons as opposed to a young guy that you might have for a lot more or might be able to develop and sell on? I think everything is true for as long as somebody is not showing that it is not true. All of this, this uh, 
great thought in soccer. Um, I know stats. Stats are great. Stats can tell you whatever yeah, but, you want. I know. I know. You know. Maybe know that Jurgen Klopp came to Premier League, and I. I was looking at that, but I will forward it to you. I was sending it to Mark. There was a moment where everybody said he should be uh, sacked uh, from LAFC because the way he wants to play doesn't work in the Premier League. And you cannot do that with that scattle of the Premier League and he will never be successful. And, and that was in his uh, second season as he was uh, around, the, uh, around the boxing days were not performing and not winning against the small teams. There was a lot of ties, as you maybe know, you can maybe remember. There was an article where, where several experts said it's over. He has to go. And uh, we all know what happened after it. <laughs> so everything is, is not proved as long as somebody proved it. Um, I think um, where's MLS coming from? And, uh, and uh, it still hurts me if, if you speak with, with agents. And there are so many agents in the world that say, yeah, I have a player. He's now ready to come to MLS. He thinks it's now a good last step in his career. He's now 33 years. If you would pay him $5 million, he would be open to come. We have to change this picture of MLS. Because the problem is that a long time, uh, for a long time, you were not able to, to get young talent into this league. Um, you were, because it is easy to say, I want to play with young players. If they are not ready to play in this league, it doesn't help. So that there, I totally agree. But uh, the I think uh, we are making reasonable steps as a league to be attractive also for young players and to be seen as a springboard to 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 maybe the big leagues and that young talent from South America, for example, think that's a good thing to do. And Almiron, for example, helped a lot. And I think also the story of Alfonso Davis helped because you can jump immediately, directly from an MLS team to the Champions League winner. And, and that was a pathway that was not known before and never happened before. And now you can jump from uh, Atlanta to, to the English Premier League and being a starter there, you can jump from uh, Vancouver to the winner of the Champions League. And these stories, of course, help us to become attractive for young talent um, and, and to be seen as a league where it's good to go and, and to compete on the highest level. So the things will change. And with the three young DPs, you will see much more young players in the league with good quality. And that's the reason why the league implemented them. Um, but uh, I, I don't, I, I disagree, by the way, that uh, this league is the one you can only win with old experienced players. And I heard that that, that often. So I'm making my analysis. And, and I, you know that in general, everybody is speaking about Bruce Arena. He is, uh, he is uh, um, the, um, you have such a nice word. The, the, what is the war horse? No, what's the horse? The, yeah, war, war horse. Yeah, That's more so an American thing because Americans yeah. are always so he, going on about he's wars. He's the war horse of the league. He knows how to win the league. He, with, he, with all his experience, uh, six of his starting 11 players, six of his starting 11 players had only played in college before they joined the, uh, the revolutions. So it is not that you only win the league with uh, experienced old players. Three of them have been under 23. So, and one is 24. 
So, so it's not you win the league only with a, a, bal- a good group of experienced old players. I don't know if he wins the league, but he's doing a great job there. And I have to give him all my credit. And yes, what does he have? He has additional three pieces that are difference makers. And that's what we are speaking about. We think that we have a group like uh, that, that we have a solid basis, but we are looking for additional different making pieces. And then, and, uh, and then they, the rest can be young. And the rest, if, if, uh, if we work really well together as a team, I think uh, also the Red Bull, uh, Red Bulls have showed in Europe um, that you can be very successful with a very young group, and have done have done that in a, in an excellent way. So um, it is not about age; it is about quality, and it is, and that's maybe even more important to put the right pieces together, because eleven excellent players are not automatically a good team. And so squad composition is maybe one of the most in the best uh, most important thing. And I have to give credit again to Bruce Arena because his squad composition is great. Because if you look at his team, it works way well together. And that's and then it it is about your uh, culture, your approach, what you want to be to find the right setup. We don't, nobody has to copy what the New England is doing. You only have to do the right things for that what you want to play. And then. Uh, it can be an offensive style. It can be a defensive style. It can be a transition team. Uh, it can. It doesn't matter. But the the thing is, especially with a cap and the limitation of contracts, and that's a, a special thing. Uh, you have to define what you really want to be and what you want to play on the pitch, because you cannot build a squad for three different scenarios. That's not possible with a cap and the limitations of contracts. No, that's 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 very fair. If you had. If- Age doesn't matter if the talent's there, and ultimately it's to get them performing on the pitch, which is the main thing. Last couple of things then. I don't know if Nathan told you this, but after your press conference yesterday, when you were talking about you were looking at a player that would maybe take 39 weeks to come in, you started a whole internet sleuthing search as to what country that might be from. So everyone's now looking at Moroccan players because Morocco seems to tick the box. I won't put you on the spot and get you to confirm if that was the country. But just in terms of general scouting, you're obviously looking worldwide. And like Mark's spoken before about looking at these leagues where maybe it's untapped talent. And I know in a, in a few previous interviews, you've mentioned Serbia a, a couple of times. Is it a global search for your young DPs and your main DP is maybe going to come from a more recognised country or is, is just basically everything on the table just now and you just want the best player, doesn't matter what league they currently play in? No, I, it's a worldwide league. We are not limited to any country. We are not limiting ourselves to any country. And uh, um, if I speak about Serbia, I want to use them as an example sometimes. So because we just did the job uh, the, last year, we did a transfer from Serbia. I can also speak about Israel or or I can say about uh, Bulgaria. <laughs> so um, the thing what at a little bit is our style to look uh, and it doesn't matter, but it is more unlikely that you get a starting 11 player in a big league. So how, how should we convince somebody who is starting every game in, in, in England or France? So that we think it is, uh, um, it is for us better to sign somebody who is regularly player playing and, and, and showing his, his, his quality 
than somebody who is not playing in a bigger league and sitting on the bench for maybe one year and 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 got three games. So because uh, uh, as I said, we we investing a lot of money. It is a bet always to sign a player, but uh, we are also limited with players and. And um, it is much easier to evaluate a player that is competing every 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 single every single uh, week. The other thing is, um, um, you have to come with the right mindset to this league, and that's what we are spe- we were speaking about before. I don't want to convince somebody with money um, because I don't believe that money uh, helps you to stay motivated for a long period of time. Money maybe in the first moment is nice, but as soon as you get adapted to that and you live in the country and have the money. Uh, it's still the same league. It's still the same club. It's a still, still the same turf here. Uh, the still same same weather. It is. It is. It it will not change, and and the money will not change that. So so uh, I also think that uh, um, that it is always good if you offer a player to make a step up. Uh, uh, and it there are a lot of things how you or how and I I I discussed that. In a time where I was in Schalke, which clubs are, are are more attractive and leagues are more attractive than that? So there are a lot of things you have to consider. It is not only the league; it is also the opponents in the league. It is the attraction: how many fans are coming to the stadium, how much attraction you get. But this is also the security of life in the in in a in a city where you are. Um, so of course, money is one reason as well. So and I think. Um, if you put all that of that together to be a step forward for a player to be a new challenge and and that's where where we are coming from and where we think uh it is always helpful it can also be a young player uh in in a bigger league that that is not breaking through and who sees it and convince us that he sees us as a next step but uh that's the way how we are looking at that and for that reason of course if you sign a player from it doesn't matter, Israel, Bulgaria, Serbia, like we did last year. If you speak with those players now and, and feel free to make interviews with them, they will all say, "Hey, I'm here to stay because this is a great step." I this was this although this year was so complicated, I feel I'm at the right place. I I, I made a step forward in my career, and this is a better place than I was before. And now it's here to prove myself, and um, and that's that's. Uh, a way how we are also working our recruitment. Absolutely. And like you speak to Ranko and he, he loves it here. And yeah, guys that do come here do love it. So j- just to finish off, obviously 2020, it's been a year from hell in so many ways, not just in, in football ways. 2021 is obviously impossible in many ways to plan for because just no one knows what's happening with borders, with vaccines, with waves or whatever. With with your dual role, how difficult is it to actually put firm plans in place for next year? Do you have to have like plan A, plan B, plan C just to basically cover every single eventuality right now? Yes, (laughs) we have to. And unfortunately, it's not that easy that we only have plan A, B or C. We have for every single scenario an A, B, and C. Uh, it is a, it's a, it's a great uh, construction of pathways <laughs> through through uh, possibilities because uh, it's not like we have business plan A, everything is good. We play at home. We have business plan 
B, we maybe can play a few games at home, you not, or plan we can play at home with limited fans. We cannot play at home. It starts already with our preseason. Uh, 25th of January, can we start to train? Can we not start to train? Have we 14 days of quarantine or not? Do we have to leave the country uh, uh, or not? Uh, can we go for, if we can start here, can we go to a training camp and come back and have not a quarantine? So uh, do we start into the season on 1st of March? And if we start, do we start in Vancouver? Yes, no. Do we start with only away games first to buy time for home games? Or do we do we have to start again in a, in, in a different country? So So you see, for every single question, we have to plan different scenarios. And it, unfortunately, you you cannot you cannot even go forward and say we plan three scenarios because it is a it's a, a combination of a lot of answers or possibilities that we have to put together, and uh, it's a it's a tough job. So um, uh, so my my operational team is asking me, yeah, should we look for a training camp? I can tell you another story. We have been in in California several times. There's the state rules in California did, doesn't uh, doesn't allow right now more than five people together in yeah. one room. So if the rules in California stay like they are, we cannot make a training camp if only five guys can sit together in one room. <laughs> uh, all 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 trainings uh, all trainings camp long. Um, so so then yeah, should we look at another option? But how are the state rules in that? What how how Joe Biden will impact all of that? in the moment where he got into the office. Um, is there maybe a lockdown coming if the numbers don't uh, are not going down? So you see, it's it's impossible to plan. So um, so we we try to prepare and everybody in, in my team is, is, is doing a very good job in preparing alternative scenarios for everything. And we are also connected with the other two Canadian clubs to discuss that all the time because they are struggling in the same way that we. And uh, yeah, the only thing is uh, we have to find the best solutions. And I think at the end of the year of, of 2020, I have to give a lot of credit to, to my organization because we found a lot of good solutions. And yes, it was not, none of them was ideal because the ideal scenario would be to play at home with our fans. But uh, as that was not allowed, um, we found a very good setup. And um, I can tell you that I cannot imagine that any other setup would be better than ours in Portland. Yeah, I, I certainly don't envy what you've had to go through this year in all all ways and just like the planning ahead. Really appreciate your time today, Axel. I know you're you're going back to Germany. You you really deserve a break and a, a chance to see your family. Just to finish on something nice then, what is a typical Schuster family Christmas like? What I know my, my memories are, or my ideas of German Christmas in Edinburgh, we had a big German market. I've been over to Innsbruck in Austria. So similar, but uh, at Christmas time and stuff. I mean, what what is, what's your traditions? What kind of stuff do you usually do as a family? Yeah, unfortunately, Germany is very heavily impacted through the COVID as well. And, and we have more or less like a lockdown. The rules are more strict than here right now. So... Uh, right now, I, I, 
I don't think that, that this will be a traditional Christmas and it will anyway not be a traditional Christmas and let us start, finish with a nice story because uh, my daughter uh, my daughter becomes three in a few days so so she has birthday before so it's the first time in her life if I compare it to last year that she really and uh, knows what is going on. She that's the first birthday. She understands that there is a birthday, and she gets gifts. And the first time that there is Christmas, and the kiss Christmas child is coming, and and she doesn't know if she should is is who is coming. Is it Santa coming or the Christmas child? So we are a little bit <laughs> switching between the cultures. So so and a way nice story because she knows that i come home for her birthday and she said uh, do do you also bring me a gift and i said yeah of course but what what do you want daddy to bring and she said uh, a cat <laughs> and i said ah it's hard i cannot bring a cat with a plane that's not possible <laughs> and she said oh okay and then she stopped and then she said is a dog possible <laughs> <laughs> so, so I brought my I, dog from Scotland with me and it costs more to bring him over than it costs for my wife and my flight combined so so maybe I should tell her that no uh yeah so uh yeah that's that's uh that's what it's uh, ahead of me um and I'm, I'm I will go home uh, but uh yeah I will I, the time change is not that bad for working so I will go home and uh, be still available because uh, if if uh uh, Vancouver wakes up. I'm already up for a long time, and they will see a lot of emails from me, and then I'm available uh, until the, uh, the afternoon before I go in bed into bed in Germany. So I have a more or less normal working day because we are anyway doing all of that here on on Zooms and uh, and Teams calls and all of that. So it doesn't matter in this world. This is maybe the thing that that will stay forever is um, that in future we have these platforms to connect uh, that we that, that that were existent before but nobody used and now we are so used to that so it will bring the world much closer together and, and that's maybe at the end uh, also why a small good thing uh, out of this 2020. Yeah I think it's going to be weird seeing people face to face again if we, whenever <laughs> we do get back to that. Thank you so much for your time today. I could honestly speak to you for hours about football. I just I really enjoyed chatting to you. Safe travels, say hi to your daughter and just have a great time with your family and I really appreciate your time today Axel. Thank you Michael very much and uh, as always uh, looking forward to the next time. Axel Schuster there. I hope you enjoyed the chat. I certainly enjoyed chatting with him and we went over a lot of topics and we're going to unpack some of those in a lot more detail in the next show when Steve and Zach are with us. That will be coming out probably on Sunday. But let me know your thoughts from what you heard from Axel there. Anything you'd like us to, to discuss coming out of what he did say? Drop us an email, aftncanada at hotmail.com or on Twitter at AFTN Canada. But it's certainly going to be a, a busy off-season for the Whitecaps. We keep saying it, it's a very important off-season for the Whitecaps because they need to make the right additions in the roles as the three young designated players, but primarily in this main number 10, number 8 attacking midfielder role that they're looking to bring in as a DP. It's not going to be a young guy, it's going to be a proven guy. 
where they're going to get him from, of course, right now, it's a mystery. I touched on there the, the internet sleuthing scramble that Axel had started in his media presser when he mentioned about it was going to take 39 weeks for one of the players that they were looking at to get a visa sorted out. So fantastic sleuthing threw up the fact that that seemed to be Morocco. So everyone was then looking at Morocco left wingers or attacking midfielders or whatever. And 39 weeks just seems crazy to get sorted out when other teams, especially American teams, can get things done so quickly. Another big disadvantage, I think, that MLS clubs are facing. But we'll get into that, as I said, more into the next show. It is going to be a very busy off-season for the Whitecaps and all of MLS. Just to look over what is coming up in the league in December. 9am Eastern Time, so 6am Pacific, on December 13th, a half-day trade window opens. MLS clubs can trade players, but then they're not allowed to sign or trade players until the conclusion of the 2020 expansion draft. That takes place two days later, December 15th, time still to be confirmed. Austin FC can pick up to five players from the eligible player list. The Whitecaps are not one of the protected teams in this year's draft, so some of their guys will be up for getting picked by Austin. Whether they will or not, of course, is a whole other issue. I still think the someone like Evan Bush might be a, a prime candidate to, to end up there, so we'll, we'll see what happens with him. The Caps, of course, could do a deal with Austin to select a player that they want and give them some of their bucket loads of gam or tam or even a player. The following day, December 16th, it's the end of year waivers, which usually not too much happens in, in that waiver draft. But also on that day, free agency opens up and there's going to be a lot of players in free agency this year, it feels. Eligible players this year are out of contract and option declined players who are at least 24 years old and have played in MLS for at least five years. And the full list of players will be revealed on December 14th. Then December 17th, it's stage one of the re-entry draft. Eligible players are those aged 22 years and older who have played at least one year in MLS and their contract options weren't exercised by their clubs or they, they didn't receive a bona fide offer. There's not usually a lot of activity in stage one because you're taking on their existing contract. So I think you might see a lot more activity in stage two, which is December 22nd, where players can re-sign with their previous club in between if they want or they may opt out of the process altogether. But any players that are selected, clubs can then renegotiate a new contract with them. They don't have to sign them. So we'll see how all that plays out this month. Certainly going to be a busy month. We're going to be very busy here at AFTN covering it all. And as I mentioned at the, the top of the show, we might start to do just some more regular podcasts, but shorter. So maybe an hour to an hour and a half, every maybe three, four days, something like that. If that's something you'd like from us, let us know and we'll see what we can do. Or if you'd prefer just a one-stop weekly shop, two to three hours, we can do that as well. But really curious as to, to what you guys would prefer. But I say it's going to be a, a busy month. It's already been a busy period for all three of the Canadian teams. We've covered the Whitecaps. Let's move on now to TFC, who have been very busy this week. 
Not only were their off-season roster moves announced, they are also now searching for a new head coach. Greg Vanny is moving on. We will come to him in a second. First of all, let's look at what roster moves TFC did make. They exercised the contract options on goalkeeper Kevin Silva, defender Julian Dunn, midfielders Nick De Leon, Subasa Endo, Liam Fraser, and forwards Achara and Aya Akinola. They didn't exercise their option though on midfielder Pablo Piatti. He is eligible for the MLS re-entry draft. Defenders Lauren Simon, Justin Morrow and Eric Zavaleta will also all be out of contract at the end of the year. And the loan for Tony Gallagher from Liverpool it expires at the end of the year. No word yet if they're looking to bring him back. Right now it's sort of indicating that they're not. So TFC have got 21 players on contract for the 2021 season right now. Any of those guys that are available from them of interest to you? Would you like to see one of the defenders come here to shore up the back line? How about Pablo Piatti? Would you like to have him here? 31-year-old designated player. Maybe didn't have the impact that TFC were looking for. Four goals and four assists from his 17 appearances that he made this year. But he does have a wealth of experience. We obviously don't know what his salary is because they haven't been released. But I'd imagine it's a, a hefty kind of price tag. Whether maybe TFC are looking to bring him back and just renegotiate and you deal with him, I guess that's another one that we will have to wait and see. But the person that's going to be negotiating that is going to be a bit different now because Greg Vanny has stepped down as TFC head coach. It was very emotional in his media chats that he did after stepping down as well. Without question, TFC's most successful head coach of all time that's a low bar, though. I mean, it wouldn't really have taken much to, to be that. Vanny had become TFC's ninth head coach in their short history when he took over in December 2013. That 2014 season wasn't successful. They didn't make the playoffs. But then they made the playoffs five times over the next six seasons, from 2015 to this year. They made three MLS Cup finals, winning it in 2017. They made the final of the CONCACAF Champions League in 2018. They won three Canadian championships, three Eastern Conference championships. He was named Coach of the Year and CONCACAF Coach of the Year in 2017. And I know he's kind of had his knockers still at TFC, but in general, what he did with that club, and I know you can say he's been bankrolled and he's had a, a lot of money there, MLS doing little favours to make sure that they got Michael Bradley, all that kind of stuff. But there is no doubting the success that he has been in Toronto. And I don't doubt that he's going to be successful where he goes next. Where that will be, obviously open to speculation. There's a few MLS sides just now looking for managers. You have to think, though, he's going to end up down in LA, back with the Galaxy that he played for for a number of years. They are desperately needing a coach to help them get back to their glory days. A coach that understands the league a coach that can get the best out of the players, and you have to say Vanny ticks all those boxes. TFC are going to launch their quest for his replacement right away. few interesting names already in the mix, Ben Olsen being one of them. It looks like they're going to want somebody that's got a little bit of MLS experience, so that's maybe going to narrow the field down a little bit. My initial thought when I saw it was, oh, I wonder if Bobby Smyrniotis from Forge FC might get that. But I don't think they're going to want to, to put an, 
an inexperienced manager, I want to say, because obviously he's done stuff at academy level and in the CPL. He's never done it at this higher level. So I don't think that is somebody that they would look at just now. I think they're going to go for a guy with a wealth of experience. Who knows, maybe they'll even poach somebody from our current MLS team. But that's definitely one of the storylines to watch over the coming weeks. So that brings us nicely now to the final Canadian MLS club that we're going to talk about in this episode. Montreal Impact. Let's call them that while we can, because rumours are abounding that they're going to be changing their name just to straight old Montreal FC. Not quite sure what I make of that. Was never a big fan of the Impact. I thought it was a bit of a stupid name to begin with. One of your typical North American sporting team names. But at least it gives it a little bit of character. As opposed to Montreal FC that's just a, a bit bland and boring. Will obviously lead to an overhaul of their, their crest and various things as well. FC Montreal, don't forget, were their USL team that they had for a while. So Montreal FC... I get it, you'd have Montreal FC, Toronto FC. I would still rather have that than some weird-ass names like York 9, uh, as an example. But nothing's been confirmed yet. We'll, we'll see what plays out there. But as with the other two sides, Montreal announced their roster decisions this week. And they also acquired a new signing as well. So we'll get to all of that. So the Impact were actually one of the, the first MLS teams to kind of explain what options they had exercised and who was coming back and who wasn't. They also have extended the contract for Rommel Kyoto. But they exercised options for 10 players, three goalkeepers, Clement Diop, James Pantemis and Jonathan Soroise, former Whitecap member for one game, defender Carifo Yao, midfielders Clement Baia, Matthew Chonier, Thomas Giraldo and Amar Sejic, and Romo Kyoto and Mason Toy up front. Kyoto, as I mentioned, got a contract extension as well. They've extended the loans for Bologna FC defender Louis Binks and midfielder Lassie Lapalainen. They're now extended until December 2021. Ten other players were already under contract for next season, including BC's very own Joel Waterman, Victor Wanyama, Balu Tabla, Samuel Piet. And there was four players that they didn't exercise options on. Midfielders Boyan, Stephen Saba and Shamit Shomi. And forward Anthony Jackson-Hamel. Defenders Rob Fanny, Juke Raitala and Jorge Corrales. Contracts all end in 2020. As does the loan for midfielder Orji Okwonkwo. Have to think Raitala is a guy that they're going to be keen to bring back in particular. He was a guy that they were always putting up for, for media calls this year. So we'll see what happens. But the Impact also acquired a new defender this week. Fullback and Canadian international Zorhan Basong. Signing a two-year contract with two option years. 21-year-old who has Canadian and Belgian citizenship. Was playing with Circle Bruges in Belgium but was originally born in Toronto. His family moved to Montreal just months after his birth, and he's played locally at youth level in Montreal area, so he, he knows the area very well, so it is a return home for him. Looks to be a good addition. He kind of came through Lil's youth system as well and played in their reserve side, so we'll see what kind of impact he makes for the impactless Montreal next year. And of course, the impact season isn't actually over. 
the MLS season is for them, but they still have to kick their tyres now, as we talked about in the last show. They're going to be playing CD Olympia in the second leg of the Champions League quarterfinal on December 15th. All those players that were released or aren't coming back, etc., etc., are eligible to play in that game. So we'll kind of see who does, if they want to put themselves in the shop window or whatever. But certainly a, an interesting time for Montreal, and it is going to be a, an interesting off-season for them, as with the other two Canadian teams. So I jumped on the conference call last week with Montreal's sporting director, Olivier Renard, and most of the call was in French. I'm going to bring you just a, a little bit of the English stuff there, where myself and Gemma and Tom Bogart were asking questions. Just looking at what lies in store for the impact this off-season and what is still unsettling times for MLS teams. With a look ahead to next season, obviously it's still quite unknown what next season is going to look like. How difficult do you foresee the next couple of months in terms of recruitment with not knowing if you can tell players if they're going to be able to be playing in Canada or if they're going to have to be based down in the US? Look, we, we don't know for the next season. We know that uh, the, the league is, uh, is watching about the date, uh, about the recruitment. I make my job like uh, the other years, but it is also the reality that it's not... Um, this is the special year. We, we know that uh, many clubs are in trouble with uh, the financial and we, we, we can maybe take opportunity about a few, few things, few players. Uh, but it is also the reality that when, when one player or so one agent asks when we will start or, or about the quarantine uh, days uh, in, in Montreal, it's very difficult to answer. We never, nobody knows the, the situation for the next month. But uh, we need to make the job and... Uh, and we have already um, agreement with uh, with players for next season, and uh, but it's not enough. We need to take other other player, and we will make that. I just wanted to get your thoughts. You know, now that you guys announced these uh, contract decisions, you know what the plan is in the off season from here on out, um, and how much flexibility you might have to make uh, the changes that um, whatever you kind of see. We have. It is also why we we don't take the option of two players is to make space. Uh, and now, uh, I know that last year was uh, two months and a half, maybe vacation for the player. This year will be different. About sporty side, it's uh, not a bad, bad situation. Uh, I prefer, maybe the player prefer to have two, two months and a half vacation, but for me, uh, I think that the, the, the players will have, uh, uh, no, I don't know, six, six weeks, something like this. Uh, about uh, physically, uh, is uh, better for us. But about the new players, we have space to make... Uh, to make movement, and uh, we will we will uh, we will make that uh, as soon as possible. What role did the salary cap play in uh, the uh, decisions that were announced today? All the decisions are also about uh, the salary and uh, how much the player can can have the option, how much it will cost the next season. Uh, what we have in academy, maybe your young guys can take a position, and we can let. It is also what I I, I explain. Um, uh, about uh, about Shamit, uh, we need to to check. Maybe we have something in the academy they can push, and uh, uh, and we can take also other player with uh, 
other quality than Summit, but uh, all the decisions are about uh, financial and, uh, and sportive side that we need to be better. Just to ask about like the Canadian players and the homegrown potential, obviously the club launched the, the under-23 team a, a few months ago, but again with the uncertainty, have you looked at various options as to where that team might be playing next year to, to help develop these young guys? Look, I, on this moment, it's impossible for me to, to say we are 200% sure that the competition of the U23 will, will go on or not. We know that the idea of the MLS is to make this competition, but uh, uh, now we are not sure that, uh, that the, the competition will, will start uh, uh, and when. Uh, we know that for us, for the young kids, the important is to, to play football, but on this moment, it's impossible to make uh, training. Uh, if we can make training, it's impossible to, to, play, to play a game. But uh, I hope that, the, first of all, the situation about the COVID will be better for everybody. And, uh, and when the situation will be better, I think for the sports side, it will be also better. Montreal Impact Sporting Director Olivier Renard there and he's going to be busy this off-season I'm sure. He does have a great selling point of having a coach with a name like Thierry Henry despite all the things that might go with oh are you going to be playing games in Canada are you not etc etc when you've got a guy like Thierry Henry as your head coach I think players are going to sit up and take a little bit more notice than they, they maybe would with someone that other folk have never heard of, so they've definitely got that going for them. But all three MLS Canadian clubs, it's just so hard for them to, to plan just now. We've heard from two of the three sporting directors in this episode, and the message is clear. They can't plan because they don't know what's happening, so they've got to just have plan A, plan B, plan C, maybe even plan Ds for every single eventuality. And that must be just so tough just now. Things are starting to look a little bit more positive with vaccines on the horizon. But you still don't know when borders are going to be open, when the mass population is going to be vaccinated, how effective it's going to be, etc, etc. I still think we're going to start next season with another Canadian series of all those teams playing each other. And then you're going to find maybe another summer bubble tournament but more likely that they're going to have to play their games out of the US again. It's going to be a tough ask. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully we can talk a little bit more about that in a more positive thing in the, the weeks and months to come. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for staying with me to the very end. We're going to be back with another show probably on Sunday featuring Zach and Steve and we'll be looking at the MLS playoffs We'll be looking at Forge FC in the CONCACAF League and we'll be looking at the CPL Awards. Until then, make sure you give me a follow on Twitter at AFTN Canada, like our Instagram, AFTN Soccer, and please subscribe and like on our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. Take care, stay safe, and mon the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget.
the atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. E.F.